Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Uh, back in January, I was uh, preaching at St. Jude's in Carlton and uh, I preached on Psalm 5. And uh, after the sermon, Reese Bazant, who many of you will know, who uh, was our sort of our erstwhile uh, chapel coordinator, came up to me and he said, you should preach that in College Chapel. And it came across as more of a command than a suggestion. And so uh, next week, I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 5. The thing is, though, that uh, when I preached this sermon on Psalm 5, I sort of tied it into the sermon from the week before when Peter Adam preached on Psalm 34, and so a micro-series was born. So uh, uh, today, uh, you're going to get Psalm 34, my take on Psalm 34, with a few little uh, you know, ideas that I picked up from, uh, from Peter Adam, um, a couple, and I'll reference them. This is a... <laughs> I've, I've done the induction module. And then next week, Psalm 5. The first footnote reference to Peter Adam is this. He said that often uh, reading the Bible is like when you're a kid and you get given clothes that are, that are too big for you. You know, parents always buy clothes that are a couple of sizes too big so your children can grow into them. Okay? Particularly if you have a teenage son, you don't want to go buying close-fitting clothes because he'll outgrow them in two and a half weeks' time. So you buy clothes that are big enough for us to grow into. Peter made the point that often reading the Bible is like trying on clothes that are too big for us, clothes that we need to grow into, passages in the Bible that are more aspirational than descriptive of our Christian lives. But rather than dismissing these sorts of passages as as too lofty a goal or or being crushed by the, the weight of expectation and the burden of the gap that you feel so keenly. Instead, these passages give us an opportunity to to learn and to grow and to change. Psalm 34 is too big for us, but through it, God invites us into a school of praise that we might grow into what we're offered here in Psalm 34. Verse 1 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. And again, as Peter Adam taught me, to extol means to praise enthusiastically or to rave about, to rave about. Extolling is a noisy activity, which means that you cannot extol on the inside. Then you're not extolling. Praise is more than thinking warm thoughts about someone or something. To praise is to speak, to extol to rave about. Peter again quoted C.S. Lewis uh, saying, praise that is not expressed is not fulfilled. And of course, it's why sightseeing on your own is so bleak. You see something magnificent and you don't have anyone to turn to and say, wow, did you see that? You end up talking to strangers. (laughs) And they back away quietly. Psalm 34 is our school of praise. And so this morning I want to draw out uh, three lessons uh, from this psalm. The first is tell your stories. The second is join in when others tell their stories. And thirdly, take hold of the story of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
The title for Psalm 34 says, Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. (laughs) Which is a bonkers awesome story from the Old Testament. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 to 15. It is remarkable. Saul wants David dead. So David is running for his life. And so he goes to find refuge with Achish, the king of Gath. And if you know anything about David's story, you realise how bonkers this is. David, what on earth were you thinking? <laughs> Going to the king of, king of Gath for protection. Like the king of Gath, that's, that's where Goliath is from. Goliath, the Gittite, from Gath. Goliath, whose head you cut off with his own sword, the sword that you just picked up from the priest at Nob when you were looking for a weapon. So here you are, David. You are in fear of your life. And so you go into the arms of your enemy carrying the evidence of your crimes. David, what on earth were you thinking? And, and, you know, um, uh, the king, uh, his servants, they, they know that there's something going on here. They, they know that David is this great celebrated warrior, this slayer of tens of thousands. And David understands the subtext. This is a guy that you want to get rid of. And it says that David was very much afraid. <laughs> so then verse 13, marvellous. He pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. (laughs) Of course, David, of course. Every decision you've made has been ridiculous. And now let's try the old dribbling down the beard trick and see if that helps. You think, David, what on earth were you thinking? And I reckon David would be nodding his head in astonished agreement. I don't know what I was thinking. It was foolish. I was foolish. But let me tell you, I didn't survive to tell the tale because of my wisdom or ingenuity. No, in the words of verse 6 of Psalm 34, this poor man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all his troubles. This is a great story, but of course this is more than sharing a funny story with David time. Viewed with a biblical imagination, what happened that day is a story of David's lived experience of the character and promises of God. Look with me in Psalm 34 at how David describes God. David paints a picture of the Lord. Verse 4, the Lord answered, the Lord delivered from fear. Verse 6, the Lord heard, the Lord saved. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The Lord delivers. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. Verse 17, the Lord hears the righteous. The Lord delivers them. Verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 19, the Lord delivers. Verse 20, the Lord protects his people. Verse 22, the Lord rescues his servants. My brothers and sisters, this is our God. 
This is David's God, the God of Israel, our God who knows our troubles, who sees, who hears. He is not oblivious to what is going on. He is not ignorant of your heartache, of your struggles or of your foolishness. He is not oblivious, nor is he unmoved. Uh, The Lord hears and he acts. He delivers, he saves, he protects, he redeems. And David is here saying to all who would hear, this is what happened to me and what happened to me demonstrates everything that we know to be true of our God. Lesson one in the Psalm 34 school of praise, tell the stories. Tell the stories of your lived experience of the character and the promises of God. And then lesson two, join in with others when they tell their stories. David, of course, isn't content with just saying, I trust God, I just wanted you to know that about me. No, instead, David says, join me. Verse three, glorify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. We grow in praise as we join in with the praise of others. David says, join with me in praising God. I've trusted God. You should trust him also. Don't just believe in God because because of my experience, but believe in God because of what he has revealed himself to be. Believe in the promises that God has made. Don't trust me, trust him. God has been faithful to me. God has shown me that his promises are true. Don't forget that his promises will be true also for you. And so you come to verse 8, the verse that establishes many fine careers in practical theology. Taste and see. Taste and see. God doesn't say test and conclude, although that's a legitimate pursuit if that floats your boat. Taste and see. How will we come to know the Lord's goodness? We can study and read and ponder. We can listen to others' experiences. We can examine the reliability of their testimony. But like standing before a morning morning tea table filled with sausages, sausage rolls or scones, who knows what we're going to get today? I'm probably, probably neither of those. It'll be terribly disappointing. But at another point, if it was open day, uh, <laughs> the only sure way of knowing the goodness of what is offered is to taste and see, to dive in, head first, get amongst it, grow in praise as we join in praise and taste and see that the Lord is good. Take refuge in him. Fear him. Seek the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil. Don't speak lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Do all this because God is good to those who fear him. God keeps his promises. And our brother David says, give it a crack. Taste and see. Join me in a life that praises God. God's promise is to give life and many good days 
to the righteous, to those who are holy. And I wonder if that gives you pause. You know, of course, for many, as uh, we read the Psalms, they can seem so aspirational. This is not a set of clothes to grow into. This is a, an outfit that belongs to somebody just other than me. Can Psalm 34 really be our song? Do you ever wonder, as verse 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. If verse 17 says the cry of the righteous is the one that God hears, then perhaps I'm not righteous enough to expect that the Lord would be concerned for me, that the Lord would listen to me. If, as verse 16 says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, if, as verse 21 says, evil will slay the wicked, isn't that more what I ought to expect? Or put the same question in a uh, different way, a biblical theology question. Is David really able to take confidence in the promises of verse 15 and 17 rather than fear the terror of verses 16 and 21? We know the rest of David's story. He's an adulterer, a conspirator, a murderer, a liar, a hypocrite. And people ask these questions of the Psalms. Perhaps you ask these questions of the Psalms, of the promises that God extends to the righteous. How can this prayer be our prayer? And, of course, the answer is that ultimately Psalm 34 can only be Jesus' prayer. He is the righteous one who extols the Lord at all times, the one for whom praise of God was always on his lips, the one that the Lord watched over, the one who was delivered from all his fears, the one that the Lord saved out of all his troubles. And perhaps even this was in John the Evangelist's mind when he was recording the events of the crucifixion of Jesus. John 19 verse 33, when the soldiers came to Jesus on the, on the cross, discovered that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs as they did to the others who were crucified with him that day. Of course, one possible source of that uh, uh, prophecy, the illusion, is uh, Exodus 12 verse 46, that the Passover lamb was not to have its bones broken but perhaps also John had in mind Psalm 34, verse 20, the Lord protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. And so when I read Psalm 34 as the Lord's own prayer, I realise that this prayer belongs not only to him, but to all of us who find ourselves in him, united to him by faith in the gospel. That includes David, includes me, and as you throw yourself on Christ, it includes you as well. And that's lesson three. In the Psalm 34 school of praise, to take hold of the story of the resurrection and to find our story in Christ's story. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. My brothers and sisters, whatever yesterday threw at you and whatever today holds, quote St. Augustine, we are an Easter people and hallelujah is our song. We need to tell our stories so that we'd learn that God remains faithful, that God is faithful. We need to share in praise, join with one another's stories and taste the Lord's goodness for ourselves. And we need to take hold of the resurrection and to live in hope and joy. So here's part of my story. When I was at school, I was a good boy, mostly out of fear of getting in trouble um, than a desire to be good. But pretty much my self-identity as a teenager even though I couldn't articulate it probably at the time, was that I came from a good home and I knew what was right and wrong and I'd choose what was right rather than what was wrong. And that was was Graham. I'd been a member of church from birth, baptised on the eighth day or close enough. And I had spent most of my childhood at Sunday school, youth group, There was that brief moment after I threw firecrackers at my youth leader's car. Um, uh, He chased me and I got so terrified I didn't go back to youth group for two and a half years. That's that's another story. But at 16, I knew who Jesus was. I knew what he had done. And I knew what he promised. And I knew what he had prepared. The only thing was that Not much of what I knew changed much about what I did or who I thought I was. Uh, 14 days after my 16th birthday, my mum died. And I was left searching for security and certainty in the face of death and confusion. And I look back on those years and I hear the Lord God saying, taste and see, I'm good. God taking hold of my life and giving me not just the opportunity but the need, taste and discover this goodness, that this message of the resurrection can indeed be a story of life and a ground of hope. This poor man called and the Lord rescued. Well, out of those troubles, many, many years have followed uh, since being 16 and the troubles have continued in different ways at different times. But I can confess that whenever I find myself battling those temptations to leave, to walk away, the truth of the resurrection remains. And so Psalm 34 is my song. And for you here this morning, in Christ, this can be yours. Especially those who come afflicted today. I say with David, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Would you hear 
and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name forever. Amen.